Welcome to Good Lawyers Startup Stories, where we interview entrepreneurs, experts, and investors to hash out the tools, mindset, and maybe even a little of the legal information you need to turn your business into a rocket ship. I am your host, Matt Scrivens, and I am delighted to have you here. On the show today, we have Bobby Reset, founder and CEO of Virtual Gurus. Virtual Gurus is a virtual assistant marketplace that matches businesses and entrepreneurs with freelancers. So if you're looking for some extra help on those admin or marketing tasks, but don't have enough work to justify a full-time job, fear not, Virtual Gurus can set you up with an assistant that fits your needs and budget, allowing you to save both time and money. And while the utility of the Virtual Gurus is fairly evident, especially during the age of COVID. What makes this company even more fascinating is the story of how it came to be. It's not your typical entrepreneurial tale, if there is such a thing, as being an entrepreneur and building virtual gurus was never really on Bobby's radar. She had a great job as a high angle safety foreman in the oil and gas industry, and her aspiration, believe it or not, was to teach music to deaf children, even going as far as getting a sign language degree. More on that in the show. But when the economy took a turn for the worse, Bobby could see that her days in the oil and gas sector were numbered. Being the proactive person she is, she threw up a simple splash page website, named it the Virtual Gurus, and started picking up administrative jobs as a side hustle. During her final days as a foreman, she would regularly work a 12-hour shift, get home, kick off her boots, and begin moonlighting as a virtual assistant. While I'll leave the rest of the story to Bobby, I do want to note that her hard work has unquestionably paid off. Since its inception in 2016, the success of the Virtual Gurus has been nothing short of remarkable. Starting with her simple website, with Bobby being the only virtual guru you could hire, the company now services all of North America, is the primary source of income for thousands of virtual assistants, and gets upwards of 6,000. 6,000 applications from virtual assistants from all over Canada and the US each month. To say that Bobby has some wisdom to share with all of you entrepreneurs and business owners out there is a farcical understatement. But I hope her words especially resonate with any of you who are unsure if starting a business is right for you because you initially lack business experience or because you may not fit the mold of a typical entrepreneur. As Bobby has shown time and time again, Molds are simply there to be shattered by those brave and dedicated enough to do so. All right, that's it for me. I hope you get as much out of this episode as I know Brett and I did. Bobby, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Matt? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we had to push this podcast back a couple times, <laughs> but we definitely appreciate you taking the time and uh, humoring us and coming aboard. Definitely. I mean, you try to keep meetings within the same calendar time and it's so difficult sometimes when they're back to back. And so thanks for uh, pushing it back. Here. No, seriously. Uh, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. You know, it was a huge honor to win the launch party mm -hmm. alumni award, which obviously you were a key part of that whole night. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's awesome. You are, you know, ahead of us by a ways, but it's, it's great to have someone, you know, kind of that we can chase and, you know, be inspired by as a young startup here in Calgary. So thank you so much for coming on today. We're really excited yeah. to have a chat. Thank you for having a startup. Cause I mean, honestly, just, you know, it was a, 
it was a decision where we, you know, it, it, it was tough. And, and that's one of the things I've never really been on a selection committee before. And uh, yeah, now, how, I, now how, I know what people have tough jobs when they do that. <laughs> well, no kidding. How was it being on the other side? And how did and maybe just talk a bit about your experience heading up mm-hmm. uh, Startup Calgary's event there? Uh, yeah. Obviously, you're uh, we're on the other side of that equation, even just a few years ago. And now you're out there emceeing and picking the winners. How was that for well, you? It was tough because I am known to be not the best public speaker because I get too nervous and I'm, you know, I, you know what it is, is I just don't like people looking at me. So it's like, a, if you, they all turned around, I could probably emcee <laughs> over and over if I was emceeing to their backs. But I mean, honestly, though, it was great to do it with that team and it was fun. Um, I'm, I'm happy and I'm proud that I didn't. There was a few times before where I, I was psyching myself out a little bit, but uh, it was great. <sighs> And uh, it was fun and it was nice being on that side because Startup Calgary or startup groups like Economic Development, uh, Calgary Economic Development and groups have helped me when I was new. And this was only a couple of years ago. So, I mean, you know, I think uh, programs like that are huge for startups and for all of us. So to get us out there and and really to help uh, pave the way for us. So. It was nice to be involved with that. And yeah, it was great. Totally. Well, you kicked ass, no doubt about that. And and I can definitely relate because I, uh, my <laughs> friends sometimes don't believe it because I'm pretty loud, but put me on the stage and I clam up real good. So yeah. I, uh, I have mad props to you for getting up there and, and doing it. And just jumping on, on that note, I, I feel like, you know, the COVID and, and the pandemic and all, everything that's happened, you know, over the last nine or 10 months, um, you guys seem pretty well situated for this, you know, unfortunate turn of events. Yeah. I mean, you know, virtual gurus was actually, I'm going to say born, but was actually made um, on another economic downturn. So in 2016, uh, the recession hit when, and I worked in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And so virtual gurus was actually born during that exact time. Like, I mean, you know, it was like, that's where I found it. It was during the time of uh, people were being laid off. We need to get workers. We need people to be able to, we need businesses that can delegate work on a cost-effective solution as opposed to hiring a full-time person and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, providing work to administration staff who were getting laid off during the recession. So we were well-equipped uh, when the, when COVID hit, I remember before a couple of months before it hit and it wasn't quite here in Canada yet, you know, we talked about what if it did get here and uh, I basically just told my team, you know, we're going to just activate our uh, work from home kind of emergency situation, which really is pick up your computer, go home easy mm-hmm. because we're, we're equipped for that. All of our contractors work from home. Um, and, uh, you know, the only thing that we were a little bit afraid of was clients quitting because they were losing their clients. Yeah because everybody that we serve our businesses are entrepreneurs. So instead of panicking during that, it's, it's important to try not to panic or obviously have your panic offline and kind of get it all out. And then, you know, as a founder, you got to put your head back together and, and, and be strong and, and show your team that you can make it through it. And uh, that's one of the hardest things is right there is, is, is being able to show that it's, it's, it's okay that you'll figure a way through there. Yeah. Keeping your head in, in tough times. I mean, that's sort of the MO of an entrepreneur and in, in, under the best circumstances and you add something like COVID to the mix, obviously your metal is going to be tested, but maybe you can just actually just continue on that thread. Just introduce the virtual gurus, what your role is in that. And, and maybe even just how this whole enterprise came about. Yeah. So I worked in oil and gas and again, I was, I was a foreman. I worked my way up to being a foreman. 
I ended up becoming a high angle safety technician. I knew the layoffs were coming and I knew my time was coming, but I was going to be one of the later layoffs. And so I started thinking of the idea around being a freelancer. So I started becoming the freelancer on my time off and I named it virtual gurus, but I was the virtual guru. So I was the only one doing the actual work. And then when my time off came up, I would tell my clients that they couldn't, I couldn't do the two weeks or any work would have to be done after midnight because I was on 12 hour shifts. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so I was doing 12 hour shifts and then doing like the admin work. Um, and I didn't even have any technology or nothing. I just had a little simple splash page up and I got most of my clients on Kijiji. And this was in 2016. It started kind of climbing more from there. But then when I did get laid off, I wasn't quite making enough to go from making a really good salary to jumping full feet in on it. So I worked at a coffee shop, which of all places, and it really built out what Virtual Brewers was. And I signed up to people who are now my competitors. And uh, so that's kind of interesting, but I signed up to them and started bidding on jobs and working for other companies just to see how they worked. And where Virtual Brewers originally came from, how I realized I wanted to scale it into this big platform was because when I was bidding on jobs, I was talking to the clients that I was working for and I was asking them, what is the quality of work you're getting? Are you getting good quality? And, and 90% of the, the people that were responding back to me when I was doing my research and these clients that I was getting work with were saying that the quality wasn't there and a lot of it was offshore and they spent a lot more time trying to make sure that the freelancer understood what they were trying to get at. And I'm not necessarily saying people offshore don't have that same work ethic because it's, it, you know, they could, like the super skilled people where my research came into was where the clients were realizing that the language barrier and the barrier of understanding what work they needed and, mm-hmm. and uh, how it needed to get done. And, and it was costing them more time than anything. So that's essentially like where I realized, okay, you know what, I got to build this into something. And I built into the platform where I realized I could broker the freelancer, but being a virtual assistant, like admin back office support with the clients and broker it through a system uh, where we provided, we do all the pre-betting and everything. And we provide that service in there. So what I'm hearing is you built a premium version to what you have saw in the market that was premised off of like local, like mm-hmm. local in the sense that Canada, I believe, or. Yeah. Yeah. At, lo- at local. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Onshore. Okay. Onshore mm-hmm. versus like some of the offshore options that, you know, might be cheaper, but the time cost to get the work done was right. far greater. Yeah. yeah. And I can speak firsthand to that. I've used some of that and I've had very mixed results. I've had one really good experience, but mm-hmm. I've had two or three bad ones where it's chasing them down and, and really, like you said, driving at what it is that you want and spending almost more time managing the project than it would take you to do it yourself. So did you have any ambition to be an entrepreneur then, or did this sort of just come about as, as a result of circumstance? It it just came about as, as a result of circumstance. If you would ask me 10 years ago where I'd be today, it would probably be, I was actually, I got my sign language degree and I, no um, yeah, my dream since I was a youngin was uh, I wanted to be a music teacher for deaf uh, children. Well, so sorry, why, why actually, is that? Yeah. Like, where did that I'm, come I'm from? I'm a drummer and a lot of people okay. know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. And, uh, but no, one of the things that I really wanted to do, and it, I guess it still has to do with tech, is I really wanted to build out some um, sound and sound and rhythm and bass uh, controls for deaf people to feel the bass and the music. Huh. Um, and so I really wanted to build those out. So I went and got, uh, went to uh, college and university and 
now and yet, and I can speak sign language, and that was my plan. And then, uh, you know, obviously, I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got you got sidetracked on something pretty you got big. Sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This pesky but, business, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then virtual gurus came, and you know, the one thing that is 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 building a platform or a marketplace like this, and and you guys know, is, is there's a lot of back end work to the platform that people don't realize go on. You know, um, not only, and of course you guys know this, but the legalities behind it is huge, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, there's the um, chicken and the egg situation that you always run into, right? So you can bring in all of the contracts with the freelancers, but you got to make sure you have the work. Now all of a sudden you have all the work and then you got to make sure you have the freelancers and, and you got to make sure that you're giving them the freelancers, making sure they're happy. You got to make sure that the clients are happy. So there's just this two-sided part to it that is continuously and constantly. And even to this day, no matter how hard we can scale, how high we can scale, it's always going to be something that we'll have to manage. And, um, you know, that's, that's the difference between this and maybe more of a tech platform type, because we're, we're always going to have that people power having to manage the, the back end, even though we're built on tech and we have a lot of tech, there's going to be always that management, the human aspect side of it. Totally. And that's so interesting. So for us, um, you know, obviously I, I totally understand what you're saying with the chicken and the egg, but for us, you know, frankly, the lawyer side has been pretty straightforward. We have mm-hmm. a huge waiting list for lawyers that want to be on the platform. We've been able to add, you know, very incrementally as demand has dictated. And, you know, we're not doing the virtual gurus numbers yet, but maybe we could just dive into that a little bit more about how, because I would have assumed there would have been lots of virtual assistants looking, well, we for, looking for work, but there is lots and lots and lots and lots. In fact, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them um, in our database. The problem is we promise a different mandate to our clients. Uh, we are a company built on diversity and inclusion. So we really do promise a certain um, you know, amount of, like, for example, our statistics are 95% of our freelancers are women. And the reason we say women or identify as women is because a lot of people that work as administration are women and they often are either single stay-at-home moms trying to make ends meet. And, you know, so we have that. We do have quite a few men uh, freelancers in in the system. Um, But the other part is is that we try to hire a little bit more of a diverse background. Now we can go and bring in every single person and they can say, look, I'm a great graphic designer, but then you put them on to doing some graphics, you're like, ugh. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's how do we educate those people to become that so they can work as a uh. freelancer from home. And that's where we ran into is more of the pre-vetting. So, so for us is, is we have tons of people. I think we have over 6,000 people that apply on our website every single month that want to work for virtual groups. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. Wow. I was like, yeah, yeah a lot of people. Yeah. Wow. And they, they're pre-vetted. They go into a database and then they come in and then they get activated. Um, and there's a whole community in the back end that people don't see. So we have like, assistant support resources. We have the Virtual Gurus Academy where we train them how to be that. So there's a whole show behind the scenes that still has to go on in order for us to make sure that we're providing the quality talent that we promise people, totally. right? Because the one thing with doing onshore is that we can't charge people $9 an hour for a virtual system when we pay fair wage at 18 to 23 an hour, right? Because we want to pay fair wage. Yeah, That's why with offshoring. So there comes that where you have to be able to make sure that your freelancers have that quality in the skill sets that you promise. And so 
you have a whole bunch more work to do when you're pre-vetting. But just kind of jumping on what you said there, Bobby, uh, it sounds like, uh, and I actually was reading an article a couple of days ago about you guys. It made it very clear that having that diversity was important right from the start. Did you have that as a founding principle? And then secondly, I'm really curious about, it sounds like you go out of your way to educate uh, and help people develop the skills they need to then excel. Because like you said, you, you need that quality of work at the end of the day as the backstop. It's not only just getting them out there, but it's actually teaching them how to do their job better. And then on top of that, you're going out of your way to pay them a living wage, I think is how you put it. I know I just threw about three different questions at you there, but uh, did that create some issues? Like, how did you manage that? Because I'm sure when you pitch this idea to some people, they may have thought, that's crazy. You can't pull all that off and still be profitable. Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, it was amended from when I first started and I said it for myself. And the reason being is because I'm an Indigenous woman and I'm saying this in a way because I don't mind. I, I want to talk about real people in the moment of, of, of a real person like such as myself where it's like I'm, I'm, I'm not Donna from Suits trying to get an administration job. You know, I would go and show up to apply for a position as an admin person and uh, even though I'm probably more skilled than a lot of the ones that would apply for that exact same administration, but because I don't follow the suit of the regular, you know, the really thin, the not the tattoos, kind of girlier looking. And it was those reasons that really made me realize that I needed to make this a diversity inclusion because often a lot of people that are of minority groups are often forgotten or thrown to the curb. And I was many, 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 many times when I was applying for work where people even would say to me that my skills were more than that person, but they're picking that person. And they can't give you a why because obviously human rights, but it's like, it's, it's you know the why. You deep down walk out of there with your head hung low thinking, yeah, they're not hiring me because of who I am. You know, and so I often thought about since I was a young kid, how many other people go through that? And since I started working and, you know, how many other people go through that? So when virtual groups first started, I never really threw that into place. I knew that eventually that's what I wanted, but as virtual gurus grew and grew and grew, then I changed it to be that type of a platform when I had the platform to be able to do that. And I was able to, because we grew so much. And so it was able, I was able to say, you know what, this is what we're doing. And um, we've changed everything and it's changed our culture, like our back end, like our company culture. Uh, we now have 17 full-time staff and wow. um, yeah. And, you know, we were this time last year, it was only four full-time staff. <laughs> wow. not even like this time. And uh you know, we made sure that anybody that came on board understood that. And I, I think that set us up for success as far as our culture, because we were able to relate that to all the contractors. I love it. Bobby, what's your, what's your, what's your shirt say? Be different. Yeah, I, I, I love it. You know, like, like you, you know, you, you wear, you wear that mentality on your sleeve. And I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I think even from a business perspective, I think that decision is going to be so fruitful for you, but you know, more at like a personal human perspective, it's just such a cool way to, to run a company. And, uh, yeah, yeah again, yeah. like I'm, I'm more about, you know, I want these people that work in the platform and that do this. And, you know, I want them to understand that, like, not only if I can do it, you can too, but, you know, I want them to understand that it's, it's okay to be bold. It's okay to stand out. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's one thing. It's just one of my, my models, you know, like if, if you don't stand out in some way or another, you know, somebody else is going to do it for you. And, uh, totally. you know, like it's, and so we try to put that home and that's why our culture now is super important. But uh, to go back to the question, um, I think that 
we drive that home and now we drive it home even, even more. Now, when I closed the funding round, that was different because before the funding round, a lot of people had said no to me raising the round, even though we were making so much, we were doing really well, revenue was going, month over month was great. We were starting to scale. Yeah, you're like, this is a no-brainer. I am running a kick-ass business. Give me some money. Yeah. (laughs) Like, come on. But you know what the main, well, other than the main point, like of the no's were that they didn't think that we could scale the human aspects of it. Right. And so that was where it's like, okay, well, now we have to figure out how we could do that. And I mean, we're always going to have a huge human component to what we do, but because that's what we do. We want to provide work. And that's that's our motto. We're not going to change that. But you know, what can we do? So we really did take time to work a lot on the tech. Well, and, and, you know, I think you're kind of hitting it again, right? Like they didn't think that you could handle the human component because they didn't trust you. Mm-hmm. They didn't trust me. They didn't think that I had the experience to do this. They didn't, you know, and it's okay. Like I could look at every single one of the investors that have said no to me. And there was 170 of them that did. And, um, you know, I can look at them and say, you know, now, I can be like, you know what? And I did do it. And, and, and did uh, you want to invest now? Because we're really, yeah, we'll we're still take your money. Yeah. <laughs> the price is a little more, but uh, we'll take it. Yeah. So maybe can, just let's jump on that. Tell us about that experience. Cause I heard you say that at the uh, launch party that you pitched over 170 times mm-hmm. now, a weaker mortal, such as myself, that <laughs> probably would have broke. How did you maintain the faith? Yeah, Matt needs a little entire. bit of support. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you know, it, you know, honestly, though, I think it was the first 20 no's of the rejection. Everyone, it was like a stab in the heart, like, ugh. And then after 20, I was like, fuck this. Sorry. I nope, that's that, fine. I was nope, like, that's staying in. <laughs> this is why I love the sort of life, right? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was kind of like, you know, screw that. Like, like I got to take the reasons why and I got to learn from it. My friend did a cartoon of me like with a shield of I'm not taking your no and bouncing the nose off and you know and and I only all I did was I let it really make me a little bit stronger on what I needed to do what I need to focus on. I, it, it helped me get more confidence in myself so by the 150th pitch I'm like listen here's what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and this is why you need to invest and I was really like boom 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 and I gave him a reason to want it and I gave him a reason a little bit more uh, more confidence and um, then everything started changing from there uh, the other thing that I changed was realizing that we are an impact startup and I didn't really realize that for the first hundred knows um, you know, we are an impact startup. And so I shifted my focus from the different kind of in, uh, VCs that I was going for mm-hmm. and shifted right. to more impact funds. And then that's where the shift, when that, when I made that shift, it was like flying colors at me. And, and totally. It it's that's strategic, just like twist yeah. on, you know, going through, you know, a non-impact kind of investor yeah. who doesn't, you know, give a shit right. less, less effective than, you know, you being this spokesperson basically for an entire, you know, com- marginalized communities in multiple different exactly. respects and right. being like, you know, someone they can look up to and, yeah. you know, be super proud of. And, you know, it, yeah, well, I mean, it's so cool. Yeah. And you know what it is, is, is when you're first raising your round, desperate, uh, desperate measures start signing in, you start getting <laughs> desperate because you're like, everybody say, no, man, I'm like struggling hitting payroll. Like we got to get going, go, go. And like, we got to get money. And, you know, and, and uh, you start, just wanting to pitch everybody and anybody. And to be honest, when I look back at my my mistakes of pitching and now we're going into another round, 
Um, now I know um, I'm not going to pitch an investor that doesn't fit my thesis. And, you know, fine, they can do their due diligence on us, which obviously they should, we should do our due diligence on them as well. And you don't necessarily need to pitch a group of angels that you realize that they're not for you or they're a thesis. Oh, for totally. You. It's okay to say, you know what? No, I'm not going to pitch those guys because you're going to waste your time on some things. Although pitching will help you get out of the, get it, the, the practice on your belt. Right. But now, like out of those 170 no's, I probably should not have even tried to even talk to 100. So is that, is that your biggest takeaway from your first round of pitching is don't pitch to the people that, you know, the door's closed or, yeah. uh, uh, cause that sounds exactly right. Uh, that yeah. especially a company like yours would need to find the right investor. Yeah. Well, I don't think you're going, you're not going after people you think will say no, but you're being, you were being less selective about as to like the people sure. that you could see clearly aligned with what you're yeah. doing. Right. Like, I mean, I started going a little bit out of my way of pitching people where, you know, in retrospect, when I look at them now, I'm like, why would I even pitch that person? I wasn't in their thesis. Like, I know for a fact that I wasn't their, their sort of thesis that they would want to, you know. So it, it's it's just, a, you know, it, it goes along the lines of, you know, work work smarter, not harder and, and be like, OK, I'm not going to waste my time there. I'm going to try to pitch and drag get this person. That said, it might work for some people, especially if other people have high tech or different, you know, platforms like AI and such, but for what we are, uh, we're more on the low medium tech, but I mean, you know, yeah, no, my, like, honestly, pitching is, I don't know. I'm, I'm sad that I'm have to go back into it here soon. It's so. I, I've, you know, I, I feel pretty strongly about this because, you know, we went through some accelerator programs and, and there's just so much in the startup ecosystem built around pitching. Yeah. And I find it so excessive. It's like it this so low excessive. hanging fruit that, you know, little startup hubs or whatever can like get people to do it. And there is a place for it, but there's just way too much emphasis on it. It is. And, and 90% of the time that you pitch a demo day, they don't invest. It's no. not that, like, yeah, and I'm exactly. saying this in a bad way. It's good for the practice, but it's just like, you know, what's more reasonable to me. And this is one thing I've learned over the 170, like the pitches that I did in my last round was finally near the end. I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to meet you and come to your office. Would you prefer me to show a deck or just have a conversation? That, that that opened up the floor so much because they most of the investors that are actually that you're actually pitching for investment they don't want you to go over a deck like they do it just because it's kind of that um it's kind of that conversation and that icebreaker but if you notice when you're pitching they get off the beam path and just start asking questions and this right. and that right and it's you know and and so i started asking you know did you want me to do a deck or would you just prefer a good old conversation and everybody it was conversation 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 totally. And, totally. you know, because they want to get the real you and, you know, and that, that's important is for them to have trust in you. And in order to do that, I think you can only do that through conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So, so getting back to the, the actual construction of this business here, uh, take okay. us through your first couple of years. Like, obviously you had this idea, you came out of oil and gas, you were, it was just you, you worked on a couple other platforms for a bit. And then uh, what was the impetus to actually get this going? And then how did you take that from this? baby idea in your head into a you know 17 full-time staff with thousands of applicants every month company that's an in, a, it, in two years two or three it, years. in a few minutes how did you build the rocket ship yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's your title for your book yeah. <laughs> um you know i i don't know if you guys know this but the first uh two years of virtual gurus i was not the ceo i had a gentleman who I found on Kijiji, who became the C who I hired to be the CEO because I didn't think I had the skills to do it. 
So from 2016, 2018, he was the CEO. I was the CEO. And um, that is an, an interesting move. That. that is yeah. like, that is so aware. Because I was like, what I wanted, I didn't think I had the ability yeah. to do, but I wanted my vision to be, you know, mm-hmm. and I needed somebody that could do that vision. And mind you, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> he, he was great. Like he took it to what he did in 2018. Um, however, we had totally different visions. We were totally two different people. And it was the moment where I think the rocket ship really started just going was when I fired him and took over as CEO. Yeah. Um, Get out and, of my way. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was just like, well, you know what it is, is the importance of, of as of any founder is you still got to give up some of your vision and you still got to understand maybe your vision really isn't right all the time, but you got to stay close to and, 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 and stay close to your vision. And, and this is what you've set out to do. And this is what you're going to do. And you got to trust your decisions on that. And, yeah. um, you know, when the vision starts going all the way past, like, oh, huge this, is, things, this is your baby. Yeah. And then you have to kind of be like, reel it back down and be like, wait a minute. Like, no, we're not going to go fly drones. Like this is a freelancing company. So I had to uh, kind of make that call. And I think from there was where I realized that this had the ability to go big, bigger was because I really wanted it to be that platform of the go-to platform in Canada. And then we ended up being becoming the go-to platform and we still are the go-to platform in Canada, but now we're becoming the go-to platform in the States. And that to me is like the biggest part of it where it's like, if I can take that and we're just tiny little tip of the States right now. And we're, you know, like 60% of our clients come from the States. So I guess I really wanted to get it up to that part. So now that it's up to that part, it's more of the um, keeping your head afloat and really realizing and staying close to all the things. Cause there's so much to do in a startup. <laughs> oh, how have you, how have you found the, the increasing delegation over the past, you know, Maybe we just even talk about since, you know, in the last 12 months when you went from four to 17, I asked, cause I'm in the, in the, we're, we're growing quickly and I'm trying to figure out who's in charge, you know? Well, so what I do is I, you know, I'll give up a little bit of my juice just because I love you guys. Um, so I write out a, a thing for myself and I call it the bigger picture. And um, what I do is I focus on my main points of what I need to do. So my bigger picture, I always have it open. And then I have eight points of what's our main focus, the marketplace, the internal data, because you know you have to make sure you're capturing the data, this, 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 and this, and this. And then I make sure that the people that I have, so we have, like obviously you're building quite a large team now too, but we have uh, with a larger team, I made sure that what I did was situated who I needed in those places to make sure that I could hit all those eight points. And then once those eight points, they're able to focus on the little things that they're doing and the stuff they're doing. And then every week we meet and we talk about this. The small you hear picture? that, Matt? That's what I'm doing. I'm thinking about the bigger picture. <laughs> the bigger picture, right? <laughs> but I mean, and I know, and I, I kind of try to do that because it's often, it's so easy for a founder that is a CEO to get caught in the smaller picture of things that are making the big picture. It's easier for you to focus on the bigger picture so that you know that you're delegating the right things for the smaller picture to be done to get you to the big picture. And that's kind of what, how we do it at Virtual Rooms. Like we really focus on that and things get done. I have my weekly meetings, I have my dailies with my CEO and we really go over and we're like, hey, where are we at the bigger picture? Where are we with Ask Betty? Where are we with here? Where are we here? And then, uh, you know, trust your team, let them go and do the work. Totally. Motivate and empower. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I got to give Brett full credit. He's actually pretty good at that. Oh, I want, thank I want you. Thank you. Right. So 
just before we Love slightly it. switch gears here, yeah. um, this is a, a legal podcast to some extent after all. So maybe if we could just chat briefly about any legal issues that you encountered uh, building your company. I think that we are really lucky because um, we didn't have a lot of like, like legal issues other than when I needed to fire the CEO. Um, mm. And the good thing about that was we worked it to the best of our advantage and uh, we got him to sell his shares for a very low amount. And so that was really easy. We've been with BDP Law since before we even started. Like they did everything for mm. us. Like our, our, our counsel at BDP has been great. So all of our contracts and everything are done by them. Amazing. Now, a few legalities that we've ran into is, is when a freelancer takes a client or solicits a client outside of virtual gurus or vice versa, a client solicits the VA mm-hmm. because they realize that they're paying that fee and the VA, mm-hmm. they talk to the VAs and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. you're only getting 22 an hour. Well, we're paying 35 an hour and then yeah. let's work together. And so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it <laughs> happens. Um, I'd have to say that we, we kind of tried to do some reports on it, but we've lost quite a few clients and VAs that way. Um, and so we tightened up the uh, contracts on both ends, the solicitation clause. And uh, now we have a team that does kind of a QA after when a client leaves. Yeah. And so that really helps too. Totally. But those are problems that any freelancing platform will always have. Right. You know, but. Uh, and I think you nailed it too, that QA aspect of it. Cause we are mm-hmm. honestly impressively aggressive with our customer follow-up given how, you know, early stage and everything. Um, yeah. but I found, you know, it's, it's been super important just for learning, for seeing what's going on. It's just such a, I feel like it's such an untapped resource for a lot of companies is just following up with your customer. You know, a lot of startups are people that, you know, when I tell them why we do that, a lot of times they say that they don't really care or they don't want to hear the bad and, you know, the constructive or the, the feedback or, or people getting angry <laughs> about what, what's happened because in our industry, in virtual gurus is, is people are going to get angry because not all the time can you promise or can you be there when a VA is doing work for the actual client and you don't know what's actually fully transpiring. So, you know, you, there's a lot of that trust, um, you know, in, in a situation like in this type of a, a company. But I mean, you know, it, it, it's something where you, you never really know and you don't know how to measure that. And the only other way to do that is get on a call and, and talk to your clients. Like, you need to talk to them and everybody should be yeah. talking to their clients and figuring out what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And, you know, so important. Yeah. So switching, I guess, just kind of to the more the wisdom and advice part of the show. Um, you know, if you, I think you said you started in 2016, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you could rewind the clock to 2016, is there a, anything that stands out that you would do differently? I think really one of the things that I would probably have changed would I would not have hired friends. Oh, um, interesting. Right, you're doing started, terrible on that. <laughs> I know. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but sorry, continue. I was, say, I was actually kind of wanting to tread lightly because I'm like, oh shit, I bet you bet. Like, <laughs> oh no, I, I, I'm very aware. I'm very aware. <laughs> but what are your reasons for that, Bobby? I'm actually quite curious. Well, when I first started, this is what you do when you first start, you, you bring on friends. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I would, I'm sad to report that half of those people that I was talking, that were working with me, that were my friends are no longer my friends. Because there comes that thing where sometimes you realize that they're not the best fit for the company, just like a regular staff. And you have to make the call of, in order for my company to move forward, I'm going to have to let you go. And um, it's a tough decision. It's a tough call. And, 
and you you tend to make more emotional decisions as opposed to actual uh, react like proactive decisions for the company. And for the first two years, I was making a lot more emotional decisions of not letting them go because I I more, I loved them as my friends. They were my pals, my buddies, you know. And uh, I was keeping them on board, keeping them on when I probably should not have. And uh, we probably would have been a little bit further along because they were there was that bottleneck. And um, so when I started you know, having to realize that I needed to do what was best for virtual crews and letting it go. It was like, it was just like, things just opened up. And I mean, you know, it gets you, having friends brings you to that certain part of your startup and you get there. The problem is, 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 is when you have to let them go, you're chancing of losing a friendship because some people take it more personal than others. Right. So yeah, um, it's sad, but I don't hire friends anymore any, like at all. I, I hire people then I become friends with them. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I'm yeah. willing to take that risk with you. Guy. <laughs> there you go. See. <laughs> so far, so far it's been good. I mean, from my perspective, I totally hear what you're saying. And I think yeah. I am, you know, I kind of hold or maintain a outrageously transparent management style at like the, even the highest level, like everybody knows everything. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do that because you're all my friends. I don't know yeah. how to like make this right between like, you know, 12 different people this is what was happening. And, yeah. you know, if you like it, please tell the group because we can yeah. address that together, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we'll see how it all plays out. But for me, it's been pretty incredible because I'm getting to do this mm-hmm. thing that I never honestly imagined. I always knew I was going to run a business. Like you said, you didn't know you were going to be an entrepreneur until this kind of like happened. Yeah. I feel like I've known for a very long time that I was going to run some sort of business because I just love it so much. See, I, that's so good because then you probably have a little bit of more, you know, being, I wouldn't even necessarily say that you guys are early stage, but I would say you guys are, you know, past early stage. We now, appreciate that. Yeah. You know, like medium stage, if there's yeah, such a thing, or, yeah. you know, I don't know. We're medium but, rare you know, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But like, I mean, if, a lot of early stage CEOs, like, you know, for me, for example, if I knew a lot more about finance, a lot more about that, then I would have felt a lot more comfortable pitching. Um, but I didn't know about KPIs. I didn't know about all that. I had to learn that all as being a CEO. And and I did learn it all. Like now it's just like, boom, boom, boom. I know every KPI I need to know. I know this, 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 and this. I know I know my burn. I know this and that. And it's like, boom, you know, it's it's now it's it's like embedded in me. But before it was like, what? Yeah. yeah yeah brett yeah. gives us me weekly updates of our burn rate yes. <laughs> so it's like you talk, you talk about I'm, how I'm it's more, burned into you uh, yeah I'm, I'm more i'm more of, i'm more ballpark kind of guy i got a couple that are a little more hard on the numbers but i've got yeah. a very i've got my finger on the pulse all the time it's true you know, I, yes. I know Agreed. i know it's generally like, i know the feel of like how much is coming in how much is going out do we have yeah. you know some alternative revenue like I've yeah. got a f- hand on the pulse all the time, but that, you know, is just correlated it's, with the obsession. I do too. Just so you know, <laughs> Brett, like every week I tell my team, I tell them a few things. I tell them our burn. I tell them what our current MRR is at and, and what that, that tallies up into our ERR and where we're at with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I tell we, them to keep We get too. those updates, but Grant provides them. <laughs> we get the same updates i just just thought the one giving them. yeah so how do you cope with the pressure 
of being a CEO and having kind of the weight of obviously quite a few people on your shoulders. How do you go about that and maintain being a normal human being and one that can relax and have fun too? Like, is there any, is there any trick to that? Or is that just something that you got to roll with? Just got to roll with it. But I think it is really, really important to check in with yourself. You know, Um, like I, I get so addicted to this whole, like being a CEO and being a founder and the startup, when you start seeing good things happening and, you know, you start seeing that you just get more addicted. Oh, just yeah. like the hustle is real, but the grind and like the, you know, you just, you, you, you just, you, you, it's such a passion, right? And you can't take that passion away, but when you have to remind yourself sometimes of, of the work-life balance, you have to remind yourself of um, the pressure that you're feeling like, uh, you know, if there's days where I kind of lash out and I say something stupid, I look at myself and I'm like, why did I say that? You know, like, you know, it's, 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 it's sometimes with my staff, even, you know, I can get very short sometimes, you know, I'm not, I'm not an angel by any means because there's sometimes where I do get short, but the difference is, is, is I recognize when I'm short and I recognize it when mm-hmm. these issues are happening and recognize those feelings. And I recognize that I need to walk away and, and, and have downtime and, 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 you know, be better about it and, and check in with myself. Like, are you okay? Are you this? Are you that? Um, it's just stressful. It's stressful. It really is. Like, I mean, but to be honest, I don't know. I feel like some founders and some CEOs, that's what they strive for. That's what they want is that because right. it keeps them on their toes and they're just like, boom. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I know what you mean. And I yeah. think I probably don't do enough, you know, personal Brett check-ins. I should probably yeah. incorporate a few more of those, but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely the, you know, the high you get with all of the, the little wins and the constant go, go, go and the yeah. decision, path, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's totally addictive. It is. And you're right. Like that's exactly what we're saying is the little wins is, is, you know, you get 10 little wins in a day and just like, yeah, and then you want to yeah. wake up and you want to be ready for your team the next day and stuff. Um, you know, but as you get larger and larger, like, you know, like I said, we, I ran virtual gurus on a minimum of four staff up until uh, 2.3, 2.2 million ARR um, and wow. on the four staff. So I, mean, <laughs> I ran it very, very lean um, as lean as I possibly could. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then when we closed the round, I was like, okay, I didn't just start hiring until just three mm-hmm. months ago. So in wow. fact, my latest round of hiring is just two and three months. Two and a half mil a year on four staff as a startup, a scalable startup. I, I can't believe they're not beating down your door. Virtual mm-hmm. Gurus is so hot right now. <laughs> but I mean, you know, and I mean, if we could be totally candid because this is like startup to startup, but like we are denied for a lot of things like accelerators and this and that. And, you know, because we're not everybody's thesis. So people, we, we seem like we're really rocking and rolling, which I think we're rocking and rolling and we're doing really well revenue wise, I think, but not everybody thinks that. So, mm. you know, it's just one of those things where those kind of things kind of beat you down a little bit too. And, and you got to push yourself over that you know what I mean I don't know yeah I, I know what you mean but I also feel like the waves are going the whole world is going in this direction you are ahead of the game you have a premium product you have ins already in some yeah. very interesting places and you have Bobby and yes. like you know yeah I yeah. mean this is this is a no-brainer for me if yeah. I'm an investor yeah, right absolutely awesome well I'll pitch you 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to be waiting a little while for that, Bobby. But <laughs> so, Bobby, I do want to be respectful of your time yes. here. But uh, as as a final question, I always ask if there's any resources, you know, be those books or podcasts that have helped you along your way that you believe could be beneficial for others. Um, you know, obviously, business podcasts or, or books or anything like that are great. But and just anything in your life that you've uh, it's been quite meaningful that you think would be helpful to others can can be played here. Yeah. Um, a few of my favorites that come to mind is, as I'm an avid follower of from, uh, from founder to CEO, uh, super good because you, there comes that time in the startup world or in your startup where you have to release yourself from being the founder and then you move yourself into the CEO and the CEO decisions are much different than what a founder's decision. So I follow that like hardcore. I read all the podcasts or listen to the podcasts, rest of the blogs. Um, the other one is this, I don't know if you guys know it, but the Sastar University podcast. No, what's it called? Um, Sorry. Uh, Sastar, S-A-A-S-T-R.com. Uh, university, uh, their Sastar University is just fantastic when it comes to re- uh, really building your startup along the whole SAS model. So they break it down into different, uh, they break it down. So for example, uh, you can watch the lesson that is on traction from if you're 0.1 million to 1 million AR, you know, and, and so you talk all about, it's a hundred lessons on that. Um, how to move from here to here to here in the right. different, and I really do follow it. I actually have my um, sales um, director of sales has a team of five people under him, and I have him in the sales one because it talks about all of that, and it's just it's fantastic. Like you really have to uh, that it's just you can learn so much. Now I'm not so much into the instructors and who they are, but uh, the courses itself I find really helpful. And I wouldn't even necessarily say courses, just even reading their podcasts, huge. Right. Um, the other one that, and, and you can sign up to their mailing list, which for Sastar, and they send you some sound advice, which is really good. And the other one that I follow like hardcore is nfx.com. Mm. It's huge. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, I just got onto that actually about two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're, they're what, they're a VC fund. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Right. They're founder library, everything you need to know in there. Um, you know, building your, your team to, uh, you know, the, the patterns of a startup failure to everything. They just have so much learned. I read it so much. Like that's the one thing that people don't realize is that I, everything that I've learned is from reading. Right. So I have my little library at the office and I get my staff to read it. I send them, I put them in courses. I send them into all this because their knowledge is my success, right? right. So it's, um, you know, that's one of the things. So I really, I have them hardcore in NFX, Sastar, and uh, from founder to CEO. Amazing. So, uh, and I think that's such a key. It seems like theme with uh, your company and yourself is that that education aspect that seems to be uh, present at every aspect, whether that be with the virtual gurus themselves and helping them get to a certain standard, yourself educated, keeping yourself educated and keeping those around you, which I think is just such a critical and wise thing to do because, you know, you're only one person, but if you have a group around you that, that can pick up the slack where you're missing. Uh, I mean, yeah. and just have that different perspective and everything else. I think that's just such an amazing, uh, an amazing strength that it seems that you have built deep within your company. And uh, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to synthesize Matt again. 
<laughs> include and educate mm-hmm. what a world we would live in if everybody you know if we could do more including and educating yeah right. i love it include them into what you're building make it make sure that they are a part of what you're building and every day like they understand the decisions that you have to make and why and this and, and you really include them in everything and like it was my mom that actually told me when i was talking to my mom about you know i talked to her every single night every day but she's in saskatchewan and where we're from and you know, I talk to her every day about it. And, and she was the one that said, well, honey, their knowledge is your success. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, why are you so smart, mom? Like, you know, and, and that's where I started being like, you're right. Like, I got to, you know, I give them stocks. I give them whatever. I give them really good salaries. I give them what I can so that they want to work here. And not only that, but Align, you know, it's aligning interests. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Because my company is your company. Your, you know, like. It's, totally. It's, the thing and so I always read these and the one thing that my team will say and I don't know if you guys know but Jen Del Conte joined her mm-hmm. team and, yeah. and um so her first month in I was like hey team hey upper management because she's on the team I'm like read this and I keep sending them and then I'll, I'll bring them up in our meetings so I'm like so on the three reasons why this or risk or whatever and it's <laughs> like tell me what you found in that and it's like Oh shit! I was really oh man, this is a test. <laughs> Back <laughs> so in school. Now I actually read it. <laughs> so when do you find time to read? Like, would you do it in the morning? Do you do it throughout the day whenever you have a moment, or do you have like dedicated periods that you take to? Oh no, yourself? it's just when I can't shut my brain gotcha. off. So I mean, because COVID's been on and we haven't really been able to socialize a lot, you know. Gotcha. Um, set my hot tub. I read. I. Sit in my she shed. I have a she shed. Heated <laughs> she shed. It's amazing. And I read. Um, I read obviously before bed or sometimes in the morning. But I've gotten into meditating in the morning, and that's really helped a lot. Me too. Me, like, keeping me calm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I don't get to read as much anymore. Right. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Bobby, uh, this has been uh, Brett. Any last words here before? No, I, I just want to thank Bobby again for yeah. for joining us. This has been a ton of fun. <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm I'm not bullshitting you when I say that. You know, I I totally look up to you as a CEO. Um, just crushing things here in Alberta and far beyond. And uh, yeah, you know, I I think that our relationship is probably going to continue growing over time. And uh, you know, it's just exciting to be part of uh, a group that includes you now. Uh, yeah. alumni choice winners yeah absolutely i know you guys congrats that was awesome yeah um no that's great i i mean and thank you for you know allowing me like the kind of podcast i like to be on or where it, it's just a conversation like this you know and they always make the best podcasts so. that's all we oh know. yeah ours are fun definitely <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but no you were on our list for a long time and uh <laughs> you lived up to the hype so thank you very much really appreciate this cool. conversation as you could probably tell we were taking notes throughout so this was uh maybe less podcast more advice session but we'll take what we i can. couldn't help myself we had the, the one and only was, bobby. Uh, me too yeah. bobby on on the show so absolutely absolutely there absolutely. you go start a podcast so you can t- talk to ceos that's that's the tip of the day <laughs> but yeah thank you so much stay on the line here we'll say a proper goodbye but thanks again for uh, coming on thanks again for joining us if you liked what you heard please rate download and subscribe until next time we hope you have a great week